All right, guys, episode 285 of the Shooter's Mindset. Thank you guys for tuning in tonight. I'm your host, Anthony. Greg's joining me. What's going on, Greg? Hey, everyone. The guest star of the hour, five-gun IDPA master. You might have seen him on the show fucking dinosaur age ago. Top shot. It? Right? It was um, a long time ago, but uh, it's funny because my friends who are uh, in the military – will not let me live it down like every every time that's all i hear about right oh also you write some gun shit right on there every now and then yeah right, right. uh been published in recoil american rifleman you know it take too long to list them all like if you read a gun magazine there's a good chance i've been published in it at some point or it, have one coming up in the future there we go uh show sponsors we don't have any for 2020 if you want, if you want to sponsor the show, uh, you can email me the shooters mindset at gmail.com is a good way to do that. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, obviously the shooters mindset.com where you can keep up with the latest uh, episodes of the shooters mindset, find out some blogs and a little bit more about us. If you care to visit, um, what else we got? If you're watching on the live stream and you want to get your question in live throughout the show, you can just drop it in the comment section of the live stream. We'll grab it. If you're watching on, if you're listening on the podcast, watching on the YouTube side of things, um, you can join us every nine Eastern on the Shooter's Mindset Facebook page. We have a new episode of the Shooter's Mindset show. So go check that out. Uh, before we kick this one off, Greg, tell us about your match that you just shot on the weekend with a new rig. Pretty much. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Um, so it's not an entire new rig yet. Um so I'm, I have last year's action, last year's barrel in it, because um, I don't have dies or a load developed yet for the 6GT. Um, so I'm still shooting 6.5. Hopefully going to get some dies ordered this week if I can find them for sale any place in the world. Um, the upsides of having a brand new caliber. Um, we will say that uh, myself and Jennifer had uh, a very great training weekend at the range. We learned a lot of things. Um, we learned about how when you're shooting over a giant body of snow, um, the light's refraction could mess with your dope. Mm, fact. Yeah. yeah, that was that was a lot of a lot of fun to learn on the fly. There, um, we learned it is indeed possible to have a left to right wind on the 500 yard target, a right to left yard, right to left side wind on the 700 yard target, a left to right wind on the 800 yard target and a right-to-left wind on the 1,000-yard target. All on, <laughs> on the, the same, same stage. stage. On the same stage within 90 seconds. What match were you guys at? Um, the match was called Frontline Fury. It's at a uh, place up in Warrington, North Carolina. Um, we've never actually shot there before. Um, Hold up. It was a, you had snow in North Carolina? There was five inches of snow in North Carolina. Hard fucking pass. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the good news is, the, so this was our first time there. Um, the match was laid out amazingly. The facility was, it almost seemed like it was purpose built for nothing more than hosting precision rifle series matches. Um, like it was, it was top of the line. They, they did a great job. Everything was close together. All the stages were numbered. Every place you had almost a brand new shooting platform. There was shelters every place. Um, the uh, Paul, the guy that owned the range was absolutely incredible it was an awesome facility awesome match but there is no other way to describe it than it was fucking hard yeah. um there was some super tiny targets you know it was definitely a match where there was a very clear separation in between you know that top 10 percent guys that like they close their eyes and shoot better than me and then everybody else um right. we had a kyl rack which is basically a uh uh, generally they are large to small um at a, you know it's just a bunch of targets in a row where you get your big one and littler and littler and littler and the way you generally shoot those is you shoot your big ones so that like the not so good shooters get that first round impact and feel good about themselves and then you know they progressively get smaller and smaller and smaller they had this one small to large that's just rude and you have to hit to move on oh shit so you're out there burning ammo yeah i got all excited i was like kyl 10 rounds eight targets i was like all right this is awesome i got two gimmies come to find out at like 750 yards that the first target is six inches and the wind is doing this yeah as so, the wind uh, likes to do yes it does um 
So that was, it, it was definitely a challenge, definitely um, a, a very good learning experience. So would you say that uh, PRS has definitely replaced three gun as the, like the hottest, you know, non pistol sport? Um, I'd say for sure. Cause I don't think like, I, I genuinely don't think, I don't think USPSA or IDPA or steel challenge are ever going away because there's enough people who own handguns and the mm -hmm. bar for entry, generally speaking is really low, but like the bar for entry with three gun was always astronomical. If you wanted to actually be competitive, it was uh, astronomical until you go and shoot PRS. Right. And then you shoot PRS and you're like, I have to spend how much money? Mm -hmm. Like, okay. should I just, should I sell my house now? Or <laughs> wait, yeah, but uh, I will say this PRS, at least to me, is actually cooler than three gun, largely because the nature of the sport prevents it from turning into a shotgun reloading race like a lot of mm -hmm. three gun matches turned into. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with that. And, um, you know, I kind of started out in, in pistol and three gun, um, and then our other co host, Jen, was kind of tricked me into starting this precision rifle stuff um i love three gun it, like i the part i love most about three gun is the ar and just like hose hoser stage is just blasting the ever-living daylights out of stuff it's a lot of fun everybody likes to go fast oh yeah but there's there's nothing like sitting there and pulling the trigger and then like waiting a second and a half and then hearing a ding when you hit the target like it's freaking cool well it's funny because like i've never like I've shot, I don't know, maybe, maybe a dozen three gun matches in my whole career. And for me, the fun stages were always either the pistol stages or the rifle stages or the short shotgun stages. Like if I only had to like put four in the gun, that was cool. Like if I got like 12 shotgun rounds, all right, I, I can deal with this. But when it's like 32 shot, I'm like, come the fuck on, get I don't, I'm not even having, I shoot a revolver and I'm not even having fun doing this. <laughs> See, I, I actually like the shotgun portion of it. One thing I'm not terrible at is shotgun reloading until you go and look at some of these like pro three gunners. Um, Cause when I was in three gun and USPSA and stuff like that, you know, I never competed often above the, the regional level. Whereas for some reason, you know, I learned with that, like, yeah, I start out at regional, you know, or, you know, local and you can do good my first precision rifle match was just like the biggest national level match there is. Nice. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. And, I, and I've, I've never gone back from there. You know, I've definitely shot more, uh, more national level matches than I have local matches. There we go. Yeah. For those who are unfamiliar with you, Caleb, just tell us a little bit more about yourself and kind of what got you involved in competitive shooting as a whole. Uh, so I'm Caleb Giddings. I am a, uh, I'm an IDPA master class shooter, USPSA A class shooter, uh, I Corps A class shooter, uh, NRA action pistol master class shooter. Uh, if you can't tell, I like to shoot competitively. And all of that started about a million years ago when I was active duty Coast Guard and I was on the Coast Guard's pistol team, which was like traditional old school, like bullseye, like one hand, like. God, like that shit right which yeah. uh was actually it's an incredibly difficult and incredibly underrated discipline but that got me started i got out of the military i was like i liked guns because who doesn't like guns right like come on man uh and i and that was i kind of discovered idpa and uspsa and i started shooting local matches and i started realizing i wasn't bad at this and then kind of at the same time, um, by trade, I'm actually, I'm a writer and I started writing about guns instead of copywriting, you know, doing, you know, uh, writing, uh, copyright for hotels or whatever. And I started writing more and I started writing about guns. And as I was writing about guns, I was able to draw attention and money to that, which helped me do more shooting. And it was that whole kind of circle. Like I like guns. So I'm going to write about guns. Now I have more money to shoot guns. So I'm going to write more about guns. So I have more money to shoot guns, blah, blah, blah. Uh, until you fast forward to 2020. And I haven't had a real job for like a decade and change because all I do is write about guns and talk about guns and shoot guns. And I'm also... Uh, firearms instructor in the Air Force Reserve. Uh, so uh, that's where I get my health insurance from because self-employment health insurance is bullshit. 
<clears throat> Indeed. Yep. There we go. And obviously, yeah. you you wrote to five five gun IDPA master on that time when there was only five divisions right. in IDPA. Now there's like fucking ten of them. I don't even uh, yeah. I can't even keep up anymore. So there's so interest. So they got rid of one division, but they added three more. So there's hang on four seven divisions I think because they added carry optics and they added bug and they added compact carry pistol as divisions. And to be perfectly honest, like. Back when I did Five Gun Master, it was 20, like 2011, 2012, right? And they would like send you like a really nice certificate that was like on like cardstock. Like it was a really nice piece of paper, right? And you'd frame that shit, put it up on your wall. And like now I'm just like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> like I got to go find a club. I got to shoot a fucking classifier. I don't, I don't, I don't care enough to do this. Like, could I go up? And what's funny, so if you guys watch uh, my YouTube channel, which is uh, youtube.com slash gunnutsmedia, when I do reviews for any new gun, I shoot the IDPA classifier as part of like my review course, right? They have their five by five classifier, which is 25 rounds. It's a real simple course of fire. And I shoot that in every video. And uh, I haven't done any red dot guns, but I've shot master class scores with every other category of gun that they have. And I'm like, I should just send these to Joyce and be like, Joyce, can you like get one of your minions to update me in the system on this thing? But I won't do that. I'll go shoot legitimate scores in an actual match. And, uh, but uh, yeah, the whole, the whole five gun master thing was interesting because I did it at a time that no one cared that people did care. And now no one cares about that. I'm like, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm still I'm still struggling to get to master in one fucking division, but I don't want to leave that division until I make it. You know what I mean? It's like some people will, all right, fuck it. So let's we'll just shoot five by five classifiers all day. Since mm -hmm. it was kind of easy, like to me, I, I think it became easier the five by five. Also, a little bit more convenient to shoot it. Mm -hmm. But when the five by five makes things a lot easier. So if on, from an IDPA standpoint, the original I did the five gun master on the on ninety the original, round, yeah. like the OG class that. That classifier was hard, all right? Like those 20 yard, like the 20 yard stages, I would see people absolutely, like I would see people burn the house down at 10 yards and then they would get back to that 20 yard stuff and they'd be like, I don't know what to do with my hands. They're just shooting everywhere. Things are going yeah. crazy. But I think the five by five classifier lowers the bar a little bit to get into master, but also at the same time, if I look at the times that I've shot on it, they're all consistent with a uh, high performing IDPA master who's not like, you know, a Bob Vogel or, you know, like a yeah. super world beater type. So I'm like, it's, I, I feel like the five by five classifier is an actually really a fairly accurate assessment of your ability. Uh, but I also feel like it can be gamed. It's way easier to go to the range and set up an eight inch circle at 10 yards and practice on that than it is to go and set up three IDPA targets at like this height and this height and this height that are like weird distances apart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. We can get into that topic of what's the true way to become a master class, whatever you want to call it. Right. Because some people will say, Oh, well, you do it in a classifier. You're not a true master unless you get a bump in a major. So well, I don't know. Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, it's all. And that's with it, all games. That's what's all it, with, with all games. You can. It's you know. USPSA, IDPA, steel challenge. All of them have classification systems that say, and all the shooting sports have classification systems that say, this is how good you are on paper any sport has that brazilian jiu-jitsu has that muay thai has that anything any competitive sport has some sort of paper ranking that says this is how good you are and that's great and so i've always felt that like the whole like paper master paper gm discussion was kind of pointless because like here's the thing right if you can and I know like people and I know people like to shit on IDPA, which that's fine, whatever. Uh, if you as a person can shoot at a level 
to score a master to consistently score a master class level on the IDPA classifier or the IDPA 5x5 classifier, you are better at shooting than 99.9% of gun owners on the planet. And the rest of all shooting skill beyond that is debating about how fast angels can shoot a bill drill while they're dancing on the head of a pin. And it's just, and we're there in the professional industry, in the action shooting communities, in the defensive shooting communities, we get really wrapped around this axle of skill. And we think that, you know, some dickhead who walks in to a gun shop in Miami should be able to shoot, not even to my skill level, but to like a reasonable approximation of it. When in reality, the things that I worry about in terms of shooting skill are reserved not even for the the 1% or the 0.1%. They're like the 0.001%. Yeah. Yeah, most people – I don't know. We can go down that hole, but you can see most guys that come to that indoor range, man, and they're practicing bullseye shots and all that type of stuff. But when you put a clock or if you just tell them to shoot from a holster it or move and shoot, that throws mm. the whole game. Oh, yeah. A whole nother, whole nother level of, you know – yeah, I mean, if you because you think about it, like if we actually do the math, there's give or take forty five thousand members of USPSA and IDPA, right? Like that's a really rough, roughed out ballpark. There's a hundred million gun owners in America. That's point zero four five percent, just as a member. How many GMs are there? How many masters are there? Right. So when you're talking about like and I get it because to us, it's important. Uh, you know, those, those classifications are important. Match wins are important, but we're at such like us just by being a paying member of USPSA, you're in the 0.045% of gun owners. And we forget that all the fucking time, like yeah. all the time we forget that. And we're like, everybody should be carrying a Glock 19 with a reload and a flashlight and a red dot. And that shit's awesome. I've carried that at times, but right now I'm carrying a 22. Oh, I was carrying before I got home from my dog walk. I was carrying a 22 Magnum J frame. Yeah. And that kind of leads us down to where we want, uh, you know, down the notes here on the whole revolver talk. I mean, you're, you're big, and revolvers for concealed carry competition use obviously you do a lot of that stuff on your your social media and reviews on your channels and stuff like that so someone walks into a gun shop and i honestly i would have a hard time kind of telling them the pros over like a snub nose style revolver and don't get, i love big revolvers like and but it wasn't till recently like i got an eight shot 357 performance center and that kind of made me want to shoot a revolver in competition after. Mm-hmm. But I thought snub noses were fairly shit. Okay, no. so we have the 365s, the Hellcats, small guns, high capacity. Why would we go with a revolver for concealed carry with those options? So uh, I'll encourage everybody to take a look at a YouTube video I have that's about 15 minutes long called Are Revolvers Relevant for Concealed Carry? Where I really dig into this. Um, the short version of it is is that what makes a revolver good is there's sort of a, what I call what we call the bathtub curve because it looks like a fucking bathtub. So over here at this end you have on your on this axis you have relevance and on this axis, you have skill of the user, right? So when the user is extremely unskilled, like we're talking like granny, like your granny who just wants a gun, revolvers are extremely relevant. And as the user gets more skilled, their relevance goes down and down and down until they cross over to a point of skill where their relevance starts to go up, 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 up again. So at this unskilled level, at the granny goodness level, the reason I like a revolver, the reason I recommend a revolver is because, not because it's easy to shoot, it's not. As a matter of fact, it's difficult to shoot. And that's why I like it because it's difficult to negligently discharge by an untrained person. And we're not talking about somebody who's gonna take a class even. We're talking about somebody who is buying a gun loading it and putting it in their fucking sock drawer in case you know the boogeyman breaks in all right and so for that person what makes a revolver super useful is that it's difficult to negligently discharge it's 
very easy to load and unload, and it's extremely tolerant of neglect. If you load a revolver and put it in a sock drawer in an air-conditioned room, in 30 years, someone can open that sock drawer, take it out, and the gun will probably fire. Like there's like a 95% chance it'll fire. If you do that exact same thing with a semi-automatic pistol, it may or may not fire. It, it genuinely may or may not fire. It depends. There's so many more variables that go into that 30-year loaded gun cycle than you get with a revolver. But then as you get better at shooting, revolvers become less useful because as you get better at managing trigger press and sight alignment and all of these things, the long, heavy trigger pull of a revolver sort of becomes detrimental. So when you get down here at this area, you're talking about like your C-class, B-class, eh, maybe not B-class, but you're talking about like your middle, like mid-level competition shooters. These guys are all pretty fucking good at shooting, like in the real world take it out of the USPSA, out of the IDPA complex, an IDPA sharpshooter, a USPSA C-class shooter is really fucking good at shooting compared to Johnny off the street on a public range. Um, and a revolver is not really useful for these guys because the trigger is a huge impediment. The sights can be a huge impediment for them. And then when you go, you cross over this point, you start to get up, 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 back to the point where all of a sudden, the trigger is not a problem. The sights aren't really a problem. And you understand that there are certain things that you can do with a revolver that you can't really do with any semi-automatic pistol. Like the, the 22 Magnum that I carry as a point of reference, the reason I carry it is because it's a scandium frame seven shot 22 Magnum. And it is the lightest uh, factory manufactured revolver that Smith & Wesson makes. Like it's the lightest gun they make. It is the only gun I've ever been able to carry in board shorts and a tank top without a belt that I can successfully conceal. So when I'm walking the dog at eight o'clock at night in Miami, I don't have to fucking get my gun belt on, put all this shit on. I can put my little J frame in my dark star gear holster, put a flashlight in my pocket, grab my pepper spray and that's it. And I'm done. And I don't have to get the whole goddamn war belt just to walk my dog around the block. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is what I noticed with the, with the whole granny thing is some of them can't even pull the fucking trigger on a, on a stub nose revolver that is or on a revolver in general. That is true. The one thing that you'll run into there is, so you run into sort of this weird competing issue where you've got like some people have, they lack the hand strength to pull the trigger on a revolver. And they also lack the hand strength to rack the slide on a semi-automatic. And this is, this is where a, an issue that I've actually gotten in hot water with, but I genuinely believe that there are some people uh, who want to buy a gun, who are legally and ethically entitled to buy a gun, where a gun is not the answer. You know, and like, if you lack the physical, if you lack the physical strength to safely operate a gun, a gun's probably not an answer. And you also probably should give me your fucking driver's license, you old bitch. Like, get off the road. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then Smith & Wesson answers that bill with their Easy Shield, which I think... So I haven't fucked with the Easy because it came out while I was overseas, but I've heard that it's, like, I like stuff like it's that. A, it's a legit... I, I think it's a legit... I like it, actually. At first, I was like, whatever. All these safeties, backstrap safeties, all the weird shit. But they shoot smooth and they're easy to operate. They, everybody can load the mags. Everybody can rack the slide. I think that's a. I think Smith and Wesson hit a home run with that. Yeah, and, the and, the easy is probably one of my favorite new guns set in the market in the past several years. Um, and they shoot well too. That's the. Yeah, and especially now that they have the nine millimeter. Um, you know, we got my mom the three eighty two years ago for Christmas now, right after it came out. God, was um, that two years already? It it wasn't like this last Christmas, but it was the Christmas before. I think is when we got it for. Her. Fuck, I'm getting old. Yeah, you are. They came out but, with the 380 um, first. Now the nine millimeters a recent one though. This year. And they they also have now the uh, the Pro Series, <laughs> where you can I'm, get it with that that Gucci gold barrel or silver yeah, barrel, whatever. I'm not I'm not a fan of that that one. I don't know what they were thinking, but whatever. They this literally. I'll tell you what they're thinking. They're they're thinking we can put a twenty dollar nitride coating on this thing and charge a hundred dollars <laughs> more for it. Yeah, and Instagram influencers will look cool shooting shitty bill drills with it. 
I, I could honestly see my grandpa buying that gun because he Fuck has yeah. bo- both my grandpa and my mom have the have the easy <laughs> and I can see my grandpa walking into the gun store down in Florida near the villages and being like oh you, it, it's 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 an easy and it's gold oh that's I need that I just like I, I like I like the series of pistols it's just uh their pro series or performance center or whatever they call that one they put that shitty like the trigger's not any better. They put like a metal like skeletonized gold whatever you want to call it trigger with that gold barrel. They ported it which okay that I, I'm not whatever and then they put some shitty like true glow fibers on it. Like I you know what I mean and they charge a premium. I think the, the original's better. Ported shields. All right. Now I have to I this is the point of the uh, of the show where I have to be careful what I say. But because I've had a great relationship with Smith and Wesson, and I have friends who work there. Uh, the ported shields are dumber. They're the stupidest. They're so dumb. It's so so dumb. Because like, what's your use case for that gun? Like, what's your like your ideal use case for that gun? Is you know the three yards, three seconds three rounds kind of shooting that we all sort of talk about. That's your ideal use case. And also likely use case for that gun is an, a really like a close quarters gunfight, like a gunfight in a phone booth. And the problem with the ported shields is they shave the shit out of bullets. Like if you fire a lot of those ported shields, when you shoot them, they'll send shit out the ports that you don't, that isn't just gas. They're sending frag and stuff out of the ports. So like, I love Smith and Wesson. Love the Shield. Uh, I was actually at the Shield Media Launch event, but the ported shields are dumb as hell, guys. Like just, yeah, oh, I'm, so dumb. I'm not a fan of ported anything unless I'm shooting like USPSA Open Division, right? And then I don't even like ports. I like compensators because yeah. there's a different because. So the problem with ports and there's like here's I'm gonna throw some slightly drunk science at your listeners here the problem with ports is that ports are in the problem with ports is that ports are in the actual rifling whereas the compensator exists outside the rifling outside the where the bullet has being cut and pressed by the rifling so with a lot of ports as this bullet is getting squished and cut by the rifling if you have ports in there the shit that's coming off the bullet that's supposed to be being compressed by the rifling to make it spin just comes flying out the ports and that's a problem if you're shooting somebody at this distance and the gun's up here in your face i don't want that shit flying into my eyes Compensators don't do that because by the time the bullet reaches the compensator, all of that stuff has departed the bullet. It's been deposited in the lands and the grooves, which is why if you really want a ported shield, Carver Custom, by the regular shield, Carver Customs actually makes a dope little compensator for it. Uh, my friends at Lone Wolf sell it. It's pretty cool, and it works. It actually works pretty well. I thought about getting one and putting like a little RMS sight on it and shooting, uh, and shooting that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I I haven't even fucking I haven't thought about it that way. Now, mm-hmm. holy shit, that makes total sense. You know what I mean? The rifle, it, it's it's a hole cut in the barrel essentially. Mm-hmm. Bullets going. I didn't even think about that. I didn't, that's some new shit. Science, man, it'll fuck you up. Yeah, there we go. So a little bit more to the revolver saying Ruger wheel guns. You're, you've been a fan of the Rugers for quite some time. I actually and from renting doing the gun range thing for a living and renting revolvers out we've went through and i'm not like i I love smith and weston i have so many of them in my safes but we go through we break so many smith and weston revolvers and we and i'm not saying they're bad it's just as a rental gun we don't take care of them right we don't do the maintenance we don't we don't do that on them. So we just put them back on the wall and run them and run them and run them until something breaks and then we fix it. Yep. But the Ruger stuff and I've like, they just, they come, they appear to me like they're built like a tank as far as like some of those. They're overbuilt. And, yep. And they, the one that we have is like an SP one or SP one one, whatever they call that model. The 101, thing. Yeah. It's a three fifty seven like snub real short. Um, and I think runs and runs and runs and runs 357 38 special and it's still on the wall to this. Day. And you could probably no, use it as a fucking framing hammer if you wanted to. 
Yeah. So the so thing you, about like your thoughts over just Ruger real guns over Smith and Wessons. So here's so, uh, so here's and what you what you notice. What have you noticed over the years? Because obviously, and we talked a little bit about this over the pre-show. Like you could say the same with Colts, like Colt Colts in the eighties. And they're re-releasing all these snake guns today. If you really pick up one from the 80s and today, just by not even shooting them and just feeling them, you feel a difference between the two eras of pistols. That the Yeah, so there's a whole <laughs> thing about that too. So um, as far as like the Ruger versus Smith & Wesson thing, like it's not really – they're both great products. Like if you're going to buy – a revolver and you're gonna buy a ruger and you and you're and you've eliminated your bullshit choices like taurus and rossi and i don't know uh whatever <laughs> yeah i don't even Be- I, don't, I don't even know anymore other than that like, yeah i've probably, owned, I think, I've owned both some, of those right. i think rock so, island armory makes one i've seen i was like holy shit i didn't even know they make revolvers they do it's like two hundred dollars and i'm super curious about it because if it works that'd be cool but so like you're you're going to go buy a revolver and you've eliminated you know your bullshit choices you're down to smith and wesson and ruger because you don't have four thousand dollars to spend on a korth which if you have four thousand dollars to spend on a korth buy that because it's amazing um but the thing with with smith and ruger is they sort of took different design approaches so a smith and wesson revolver with the exception of like the integral lock is very similar to the way a smith and wesson revolver worked in it's almost exactly the same to the way it worked in 1889 or 1899 whenever the whenever the hand ejector which is kind of the the foundation of the smith and wesson that we understand it today came out which was the late 1800s or the early 1900s Whenever that came out, the gun functionally is the same, right? Like the way the springs and all the bits interact really hasn't changed that much in a hundred and something years. Now, one of the results of that is we know a lot about Smith & Wesson revolvers. We know how to make them work. Now, Ruger, the Ruger GP100 didn't come out until 1985. The Ruger Security 6 didn't come out until, I want to say, the late 60s, early 70s. I'd have to look. But they were able to take advantage of more modern uh, manufacturing techniques like investment casting and stuff like that. So the Ruger guns were built using slightly more modern engineering. So if you buy a Ruger and you buy a Smith & Wesson from the factory, the Smith will have a slightly better trigger than the Ruger because the Ruger will have more cast parts. It'll be rougher, blah, blah, blah. The inverse of that is it's much easier to get a good trigger in the Ruger than it is the Smith because I've done it a whole bunch of times. So I can do the spring because with a Ruger, you can change two springs and go from a 16 pound trigger pull to an eight pound double action trigger pull and like a two and a half pound single action pull with a Smith. You've got to like change a spring. You're like cut a screw down. You've got to like pray to a God who's riding a monic a, a unicycle with a monocle. It's all very confusing. There's a lot that's going on inside of Smith. Um, but I love Smith revolvers and I love Ruger revolvers, but I think that for the average consumer who's looking to buy a gun, Ruger is making a better product right now in 2020. And the other thing about that is Ruger is listening. Like Ruger is listening to their consumers as evidenced by things like the super GP 100 and nine millimeter. People like me have been screaming for Ruger to make an eight shooter. So they made a red, the red Hawk, which was yeah, it's kind of crappy. Then they made the Super GP100 and 357, and like a bunch of people like me, well, and me, uh, were like, "Ooh, ooh, ooh, make this in nine millimeter." So they did, and we're all like, "We're not used to a gun company like listening to us and making the things that we want." This is confusing, and we're all afraid now. But <laughs> right. Ruger is really doing a great job with their products, and I'm not. I have been sponsored by Ruger in the past. I'm not, but like if y'all want to Ruger slide into my DMs, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, but for real, I'm not sponsored by them right now, but I really do think that in terms of the revolver product, they're absolutely killing the game right now. They're making the LCR has the best factory trigger of any revolver. Like you can take an LC. I don't change my LCR triggers. Every other revolver I own, I fuck with the trigger. I put 
apex kits and my J frames. I do spring changes and everything to my GP 100s. I do whole ass action jobs on my Smith and Wesson revolvers, but my LCR, that's fine, man. It's nine and a half pounds of double action. Like if you can't deal with that, you need to just get better at shooting. There we go. Craig, you got, you got someone here? Yeah. So that was a pretty much a really awesome gun review there. Um, do you have any new upcoming gun reviews coming anytime soon? Yes, I do. So I have the, so I have the super GP 100, uh, in nine millimeter, which I've started the review process on. I also have a pair, I have three 10 millimeter GP 100s. Cause they have a whole range. They have all family. They have a three inch, a four inch and a five inch. So we got them all like fucking Pokemon. Um, and then a project I'm actually really excited about is uh, I've been working with Kimber because I'm really curious about the K6S because people ask me I all the time, what do you know about the K6S? And one of the things that I really try to do, I try to be honest with people. Like if someone asks me about a gun and I don't know, my answer will be, I haven't shot that enough to have an opinion on it. You know, And it could be anything from like a gun that's probably great to a gun that's probably shitty, but I'm just going to be like, I haven't shot that enough to have an opinion on it, man, because I don't want people to make a bad choice based on bad info for me. So I'm working with Kimber and they're sending me two or three K6Ss and we're going to shoot the hiss out of them. And I'm actually really excited for this because of the volume of people I've had ask me about the K6S, ask me what I think about it. And my answer has always been, I don't know, man. I it haven't could even, be I cool. I work at a gun range. I have never seen a Kimber revolver even come in, not as an FFL transfer. I haven't seen a customer show me, Hey, check this out. Nothing, but I've been curious. I felt one like at a trade show. I'm like, Hey, they look good. They look cool. I kind of want one, but I don't know nothing about it. I shot like six rounds out of one and I, and it was, it was cool. The trigger was pretty solid. I was, I was like, this is dope. Like, I like what you guys are doing here. Uh, A friend of mine, Chris Baker from Lucky Gunner, is he's a good friend of mine, and he shot a whole bunch out of one of them. He's like, it's a really good gun. And what's interesting about it is it's not like – it's like if a revolver nerd made a revolver because the people that just want a revolver so they can have some gun – you know, like instead of a Glock 43 or whatever, they carry like lightweight J frames, like shit you can throw in a pocket and stuff like that, right? The K6S is made out of steel. You got to have a holster and a belt for that. Like it's a really shootable wheel gun. And I'm like, what freaking revolver nerd designed this? Because most people, if they're going to carry a gun that weighs as much as a Glock 19 empty, are just going to put a magazine in the Glock 19. Right. So it's very interesting to me. Like, and I'm very excited for this. Hopefully we'll get those. Hopefully we should be getting those guns pretty soon. And we're going to get some neat content up on YouTube uh, and our, my Instagram uh, about the case success here pretty soon. Yeah. I, I'm right. also pretty excited that they came out. I think they came up with like a four inch one or, yep. or something like that. Um, that's, yep. more, that's more where I like the revolver to be if I'm going to carry one. So they're sending me, so they're for sure sending me two of the three inch revolvers. And then uh, I was talking to my contacts over at Kimber about getting a four inch gun as well, because I'm really interested in that. And they said, if we can get you one, we will. Yeah. Cool deal. Cool deal. Uh, so uh, what do you, this is kind of, you kind of bring it, bring it down here. Uh your gun reviewers, your, your YouTubers, your, you know, your gun reviewers, right? What, what don't you, when you see them and you pick out certain things like, Hey, this is a paid review, um, not spending enough time with the product and just kind of pumping it out there and saying it's a gun review. Um, what do you do? You, I notice in your reviews, you definitely shoot them and do it different. And you kind of have a non-biased kind of viewpoint on this. Cause Hey, if, and I understand, and don't get me wrong, if Smith & Wesson or such and such company or any whatever the name is, is sending me a bunch of revolvers or, or pistols or ARs, I don't want to screw that up by talking shit on the first one they sent me because now I'm not going to get the next 20 guns or 10 guns or 5 guns from them, right? So there's an ethical way to handle that. And uh, you know anybody who has been doing this professionally – understands that like look every company 
every company makes a shitty gun occasionally. All right. Like Smith and Wesson has made a, made a crap gun. Glock's made them. Ruger's made them. Colt, Sig, freaking Nighthawk, Wilson, Com- maybe not Wilson Combat. But you get you get the point is that as a reviewer, as a journalist, and that's if you really want to get to my pet peeve, my biggest pet peeve is firearms reviewers, content creators, whatever you want to call them, who think of themselves as entertainers first and journalists second. And that's just my pet peeve because I've been doing this forever and I'm old and crusty. And like, I want people to be entertained by my content, make no mistake. Like I want people to enjoy what they're watching or enjoy what they're reading or enjoy what they're listening to. But I want them to actually learn something. I want them to be informed. I want them to either know something about how the industry works, know something about how this weapon works, know something new. Like when they leave my episode, leave my article, leave my podcast, I want them to be like, I learned a thing today. And it could have been one thing couched in 20 minutes of dick jokes, but if they learned a thing, then I'm doing my job. And what I get frustrated with is guys who are just entertainers and they're trying to pass off entertainment as knowledge. And that's very frustrating for me. Um, uh, but yeah, it's very frustrating. Um, as far as like ha- handling bad guns, like, look, I've had crap guns sent to me by manufacturers and you know what you do if you're a, so here's the other thing. All right. We're going to get down the road. A lot of these influencers, and I hate that word, but we're going to use it. A lot of these influencers are buying these guns at retail or from a friend who has an FFL or through a gun shop or something like that. And then they're publishing their reviews. So what they don't have is a connection to the manufacturer, right? Right. So if they happen to get that shitty gun, instead of doing the reputable thing and emailing the manufacturer and saying, Hey, you know, you sent me this gun for review and it had problem X, Y, Z. And before I put you guys on blast, I want to make sure that this is not a representative sample, you know, and that's the professional thing to do. Cause I've had that happen. I've said, Hey, you know, you guys sent me this gun. Like I try, it wouldn't feed a single fucking magazine. Uh, Like, is this a problem? I'll send it back if you want to fix it and resend it to me so we can try again. But then I'm going to report whatever happens that second time, you know, and you run into a lot of people who are just looking for clicks and they're looking for views and they're like, oh, if I toast this Remington R51, I'm going to get so many YouTube views from this, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, it gets views. if you. It does. It. No, it absolutely it, does. It absolutely does. Yeah. Just putting that shit in the title. Hey, R51 or Glock 19 is shit. You, you literally just put that in the title of a YouTube video, you'll get clicks, whether the video is horrible or not, or legitimate or not. People Mm -hmm. say, what? Glock 19 is the best handgun on the planet. It can't be shit. And those people are going to click on it and see what you're trying to talk about. So uh, I get it. But you got to separate those channels who you watch for entertainment and those who you actually know are giving you a true opinion and doing it the right way, essentially. I, I, I do separate those channels. Like, if I just want to watch some people shoot some shit and blow up some stuff and use Tannerite and all that type of stuff, that's cool. And I'll right. watch that for that content. Well, like, a perfect example. Like, I watch, uh, I, uh, I watch Demolition Ranch. And I don't watch him because I expect to learn something. I watch him because I want to blow shit. I want to watch him blow shit up. Uh, I'm only right now subscribed to one gun channel on YouTube, which is uh, Brandon Herrera, the AK guy. Uh, and I'm not, and like, I'm not trying to diss Brandon Herrera. Uh, he's very knowledgeable about AKs and all that. I don't give a single solitary fuck about AKs, uh, but he's very entertaining and he's funny and he makes me laugh. And if you look at the trend in the YouTube channels that I'm subscribed to, it's because they're funny or they make me laugh or they entertain me. It's not because, you know, I'm certainly not subscribed to like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, if I start talking about YouTube gun channels, I'm just going to say things that are going to upset people's feelings. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. Brandon Herrera is great. Go subscribe to him. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, on a lighter note, you will be offering some classes here in the future, right? Do I, is this true? 
Yeah, absolutely. So late, so uh, late 2020, uh, we're going to be doing open enrollment classes. There's going to be two class offerings. So there's going to be a precision pistol marksmanship class, which is looking at solving the marksmanship problem of shooting uh, from 15 to 50. All right. And there's great, if you want to learn how to shoot from five to 15, there's great instructors for that. If you want to learn to shoot from zero to five, there's one great instructor for that, uh, Craig Douglas. And, but there's not a lot of people who are dealing with this weird sort of intermediate precision marksmanship problem with handguns, which if you actually look at real world defensive encounters, is more common than we think. So everyone has heard like the whole like three shots, Shot. three yards and three seconds, right? But the th reality is there are plenty of documented instances where it was 50 yards, 43 yards. That uh, that dude who, that, that incel weirdo kid who tried to shoot up the federal building in what, Dallas, I think it was? Yeah, yeah. yeah he got popped at 35 yards with a handgun. Right. So you're dealing with the re the real world has longer shots than three yards, three seconds and three shots. And if all you do is prepare yourself for that, if your gunfight is 23 yards against an active shooter who's in between you and your only exit from the mall, he's trying to shoot up. You're fucked. And. I have a, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I really like shooting pistols at long range. And my competition skill set and my military skill set and a whole bunch of other things go into making me prepared to teach this class. And then the other class I'm going to teach is a defensive revolver class. And it's basically going to be like, here's this gun that has no bullets in it and a really shitty trigger. How do you shoot it well for defensive purposes? Yeah. Yeah, I can see for that class. Definitely filling up too, because... Mm -hmm. I see a lot of bad revolver shooters. Oh, yeah. So you, so you said long-range pistol. What do you consider long-range with a pistol? So long-range, any with a pistol, anything long-range is 25 yards and up is long-range for a handgun. I went to a – you'll appreciate this. So as a primarily handgun shooter, uh, I do shoot rifle occasionally. And so I went to a class by uh, JP Enterprises. I went to their long-range class down in Nevada a couple of years ago. And the first fucking day, the instructors were like, we're going to start a short range today. And I was all, whew, I was so relieved right up until the next words out of his mouth, which were, so we've got some plate racks at 300 yards. And I'm like, hi, I have a question from the back. I'm sorry, you said short range and 300 yards. And these aren't the same fucking thing, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it all depends on the tool. And the, it really does. Uh, the, the, the reason why I ask, uh, probably two, three months ago, uh, me and Jen went to a, a two gun match. And it, you know, both of us came from pistol and three gun and then moved into this PRS world. And they're like, pistol and long range we're like oh my god this is so us we know how to shoot pistol we shot uspsa for years we'll be fine and obviously we compete in the prs pro series like we could shoot long range we got out there we looked at one stage we're like yeah so you're standing in the boat on the lakeshore and 115 yards away there's a 66 percent ipsic on the other lakeshore you're to engage that with five rounds from your handgun and i'm like yo boss um i have this and yeah. it's 115 yards away. Why don't, why don't I use that? Yeah. So you can shoot pistols at 100 yards, and I love doing that. Like I love ringing steel at stupid pistol ranges. When uh, when I was out at the the JP class, me and um, Redacted were actually trying to hit a four inch wide piece of steel like 115 meters with his Glock, and it was it was a blast. We were oh, so close. Uh, but in that same vein, if I'm at like a two gun match and there's a target that's like a hundred meters away and I have a rifle, you know what I'm not going to shoot it with? A pistol. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, at, at any point in time, if I have a, a rifle and it has bullets, if the distance is, is three digits, I'm definitely using the, the rifle. 
Oh yeah. Now there's a great course of fire. If you ever get the chance, uh, I, I, I do recommend, I know it's like old school uh, gun training, but I recommend people go to uh, gun site and take the pistol 250 course because they will run you through a course of fire called the scrambler, which is targets from it's the furthest shot. I want to say on the scrambler is at like 75 yards, the closest shots at like 25. Uh, and I've cleaned it in, I don't know, like it's seven shooting positions and they're all positions like you gotta like get down in a box come out of the box get over a log do all the shit i've cleaned it like 40 seconds with a long gun but i've also shot with a handgun and it's it's a lot of fun and it's very challenging to shoot a handgun at these distances and when you can shoot a handgun well at weird ranges like 25 to you know 75 meters all of a sudden making a precise shot at five meters becomes trivial. You know, when you can hit, if you're standing at standing offhand at a, at 50 yards and you're like, this eight inch circle is my bitch. And you can do that. All of a sudden when you have to hit a four inch circle at five yards, you're like, whatever, easy mm -hmm. day. Yeah. See my, I think my biggest problem with it is I have pistols that are set up for USPSA which means shoot the big targets up close really, really, really fast. So I've, I've got a ginormous front fiber on them. Yeah. And people are like, oh, where were you holding? I was like, well, my fiber was covering the far berm of the lake. And I think so the target's in there someplace. The, yeah. uh, the top tier guys in USPSA and IDPA are all on really thin front blades or mm -hmm. really small fibers. And you, you see these things? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Okay, yeah, these, fair. These help a lot. So I've heard I've heard of using the top and not the fiber. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't even use. So uh, I don't. I don't I actually. If I can avoid it, I don't like a fiber optic sight. I actually prefer a either gold bead or just black on black with a really wide rear notch and a really thin front notch. But uh, with all you know, with all of that, like the thing with USPSA especially is. USPSA and IDPA all actually require you to be super freaking accurate. Cause like if you go into a USP or an IDPA match or a USPSA match and you shoot a bunch of down ones or you shoot a bunch of Charlies, you're getting junked. Like you ain't yeah. winning. I shot uh, an IDPA match actually in Florida last year and I'm going to shoot it again this year, the uh, tri-state border disorder up near Tallahassee. Mm -hmm. And I shot one stage and I fucking shredded the stage like i shot it i shot it six seven seconds faster than the next fastest guy yeah i dropped a lot more points than he did <laughs> and i like a lot more because i was just like oh yeah this looks great bap, 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 reload. Bap, 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 bap. and then they were like and then all of my hits were in the down one in between the top of the down zero and the head box i was like I just want to say point of order. If these were people, they would all be fucking dead. Yeah. Right. So, so my first experience with the IDPA scoring, I've, I've literally never shot an IDPA match. And one day um, our local range decided, Hey, everybody likes rifles. Nobody likes shotguns. I'm like, no, I like shotguns. And they're like, no, nobody likes shotguns. Then Jen's like, Oh, I like shotguns. They're like, no, nobody likes shotguns. So we don't count. Um, you like, you really so, don't. I, I, I like shotguns. But the, uh, the day after the USPSA, they're like, we're going to run the same match, but with carbines on Sunday, you know, and they'll, they'll change themselves up, you know, a couple of the shots, they'll go from a full size zip stick to a 33% and this and that, and the other thing. Um, but it was just really easy for them to do. And it was a really fun match. But the first stage we went out there and like the guys like, yeah, IDPA scoring. We're like, yeah, whatever. Okay, cool. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And we all ran the first stage and me and one of my buddies were like, all right, who won this? Who won this? Who won this? We got this. We got this. Then we realized how IDPA scoring works. And you're yeah. really supposed to shoot the center of those targets in that match. Uh -huh. It doesn't matter how fast you shoot it. If you get a bunch of Deltas or Charlies it's, or anything. It's, it's one full second added to your time. So if you're shooting two per target and you're, you know, you're like, Alpha Charlie or you're down zero down one every target you're talking like eight seconds added to your time it's it's yeah. it's, a, it's a 
difference. It's for wow. your stage. So, yeah. so we were all out there. We were we were running our hypifiers for all they were worth. You know, we're out there. Nice. Hey, I gotta I gotta stop you there for a second. Nice hyperfire drop. Uh, Nate Reinhardt will appreciate that. So, I, so when it comes to hit, ARs, hit us with I that love... again. Hit us with that again, Greg. Let's no, the, 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 the... <laughs> that was... All right. It was actually it was actually faster than that. Like it looked my... good for the it looked good for the gram, and that that's exactly what I was about to say after my first stage. I'm like, damn, this is about to be so lit for the gram. I might get like two more followers because of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then we looked at the scores and the the old man that was out there and he's going. Pop, 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 pop. Yeah, he beat our, all of our asses because he was the one that looked at how the scoring works and realized you got to shoot the center of the target or else you're just kind of effed. Yep. All right. Well, uh, bye, Anthony. It was good seeing you. Oh, well, okay. That happened. He just uh, stood up and walked away, which is. So he's got some, some adorable little children that absolutely love their daddy. Which is cool. Uh, I also have one of those, but he doesn't like know I exist. He's just in like that goo goo gaga phase. So. I also have one here. Here is my child right here. <laughs> oh, your child doesn't shit on you. That's actually kind of nice. Uh, no, she did at uh, two matches last year. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. One of them I went to, all of a sudden, I'm like, why am I not hitting anything? Went to go figure out what's up with my scope cap pull, or with my scope adjustment and went to go pull the top cap off, and the whole insides came out the top. I would so definitely you, call that my child shitting on me. Yeah. No, that's fair. It definitely is not supposed to do that. Definitely not. There we go. Um, what else we got? Uh, lastly, you said uh, uh, we talked about. Uh, Appendix carry in so appendix inside the waistband allowed in IDPA. I think we touched on a little bit in the pre show, and this is the last one before we wrap it up. A little bit. Do you think the tactical dudes will now start to play, even though I think they are playing? Um, but would more tactical dudes play and USPSA carry optics guys kind of jumping ship? So, I mean, the answer to that's yes. Like, I've had people, I dropped a video uh last year, maybe maybe a year and a half ago called like five ways to improve IDPA. And the number one was allow appendix carry. All right. It is ridiculous to me that the sport that has defensive in the name does not allow the most popular form of defense pistol carry. And I'm not saying just like right now, like IW, AIWB is not a trend. We've been carrying pistols forward of the appendix position for as long as we've been carrying fucking pistols. All right. You look at drawings of pirates, where do they have their guns? Appendix. Okay. So it's ridiculous to me that we don't allow that in the defensive pistol sport. And I've had guys who are notable professionals, they're trainers, they're shooters. They're like, if IDPA allowed AIWB, I would go shoot IDPA tomorrow. I don't shoot it right now, but I would, you know, and these guys, a lot of these guys, they'll shoot carry optics matches and they'll shoot them from a, a regular competition holster or they'll take the hit and they'll go shoot open from AIWB or shoot limited from AIWB. And it's, it's dumb as hell to me that IDPA isn't like, Oh God, what, what, what is our name again? International de defensive. Oh fuck. We fucked up. Like yeah. let people shoot from appendix. All right. And I know, and the problem is uh, they're probably not going to let me shoot nationals this year if I say this, but anyway, the problem with IDPA is there's too many fucking old people in idpa who think you're going to shoot your dick off if you carry appendix no yeah and i know and here's the thing i know joyce wilson like personally she doesn't think that joyce is like whatever like yeah appendix cool but you know you have all of these other apparatuses and, these, and the membership and all of this other stuff that you know this has got to happen but also i know you joyce Joyce, I know you're not listening to this, but like if you, by some chance, if this gets to your inbox, we're cool. We used to work together. We're still friends. Uh, just like make it happen. You got the power. You got that executive power to be like, I allow appendix carry because Caleb is cool. That'd be tight. Hey, so Mike Bell has an IDPA question. Um, yeah. He wants to know if you still have to wear a vest because that's why he didn't shoot IDPA. You do not have to wear a vest. Your gun has to be concealed. So however you want to do that, 
is up to you. And the rule unless is- Unless it's appendix, right? Unless it's appendix, yeah. So your shit's all got to be behind the point of your hip bone. So spare mags, gun, all of that. And the reason why the vest is so popular is because it's a game and the vest is the fastest way to get at your shit when it's concealed. Gotcha. Yeah, I've seen people actually wear like a a shirt on the outside or or just have their shirt over an inside the waistband holster. It wasn't like an appendix style holster. Mm-hmm. It was more like a four o'clock position carry. And people will shoot locals that way. I've never seen it done in a major. No, and they won't do it in a major because it's not competitive. Like the last right. guy to do that in a major and win was Todd Green, God rest his soul. Um, but yeah, it's because it's really not competitive because the amount of time that I have to spend practicing to get good at sweeping a concealment garment out of a traditional IWB holster and all of that. And then the big disadvantage is the closed front reload. Like trying to reload from a closed front shirt is is very difficult when you've got it over here, the traditional position. It's slightly less difficult at appendix, but it's still not easy. So, right. you know, but... Yeah. I think that if you allowed appendix, so here's how you could do it in IDPA, and this will be the last like thing I have to say about this. IDPA could change the rules to say that appendix carry is allowed and shooters are allowed to place their gun and their magazines at any point forward or behind their hips on their body so long as they don't muzzle anyone else during the draw. Uh, but if you carry your gun and your mags forward of your hip bones, you must use a closed front concealment garment. All right. That's how you do it. So like if I want to carry appendix and shoot IDPA, I got to wear a t-shirt or uh, something that is closed front. If I want to carry outside the waistband with outside the waistband mag pouches and everything, I can fucking use a vest and that, and then we just let the game decide, which is faster. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. let's fucking figure it out. Let's, let's. I- Let's go shoot, guys. Dudes who actually carry from that position and actually practice from an appendix position, good guys have a faster draw than most guys with an outside-the-waistband rig. Oh, yeah. Now, that being said, like, I'll put my OWB, I'll put my IDPA draw up against, like, wearing IDPA concealment. I'll put that up against anybody's appendix draw. Uh, so come at me with that. But because I think that so I think that a draw from like an IDPA concealment garment from an OWB holster and a draw from a, an appendix carry holster under a closed front shirt are about the same. Like like you're you're splitting really microscopic hairs with your speed here on that one. Yeah. There we go. Uh, so, uh, any any more live you got, Grant? Yeah. Tim Heron wants to know if that's a primary and secondary hat you're wearing. Yes, it is, Tim. It's a go. great hat. There we go. Talk about a dude. I mean, I don't. Know. That dude shooting shooting a nineteen eleven. You know, not talk, only, about, talk, talk about bless shooting, his soul. Not only shoot, is he shooting a nineteen eleven, he's shooting a nineteen eleven left-handed, and he's only four <laughs> and a half feet tall. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I try to get into 1911s and competitive games and carrying seven mags on my my waistband and and doing that shit, and then trying to get my 1911s to stay running for a season. And I like a 1911. I go in and out of love with 1911s, and I'll buy a bunch and then I'll sell a bunch, and then I'll compete, and then I'll say, "Screw it, I'm just going to a Glock 34 and just be done with it." Uh, that's I mean, that's, me. That's the answer for most people. It's Glock 34. And I, I also love a 1911. And I love Tim Heron. He's my boy. So, uh, yeah. but hey, oh, by the way, if you guys want to take like a great shooting class, Tim's got classes. Look him up. Uh, he's yeah. running some fucking great classes right now. So definitely check him out. Yeah. But, I um, wanted to, I, I was, he had a class down in Homestead recently. I think it got canceled because it didn't get filled. But I was totally thinking about getting into that one. And I, it could have been I could have been that guy that didn't pay, and then the class was canceled. And I'll, it, but I was so thinking about it, I was going to bring my 1911. I have pouches and everything. I'm like, that's the dude that I want. There you to, go. I mean, to, you if know. you want, there's there's really only two dudes who I'm interested in learning about 1911 stuff from, and it's Tim because he shot the shit out of one, and it's Hilton Yam who has also shot the shit out of one. If you don't know who Hilton Yam is, go check out 108 Performance. He just retired from the FBI's one of the lead firearms instructors, 
one of the smartest 1911 guys on the planet. Uh, and he's actually teaching classes down in Homestead now. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, other than that, Greg, if we don't have anything live, I think we can wrap this one up. We're at that perfect kind of point sweet spot for the show here. What are we right doing? on, guys. Any live? I'm trying to pull it back up. One sec. Um, Tim says he wish he had one of your hats and thanks. Um, Juan says, yes, you were. Yes, you were. There were four of us. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, shout outs. What do I have? I have shooters and sharpshooters of Augusta. PDC custom for a really awesome lime green or other color rifle chassis. Uh, NDZ performance. If you just want to build yourself a really sweet Gucci Glock. Phone scope, the, uh, the best long range training aid. Shooters world propellant if you're looking for some super low SDs and don't want to deal with that whole like, hey, nobody has powder in stock, Shooter World Powder is in stock everywhere. Hunter's HD Gold, I'm pretty sure I wore them nonstop all weekend. I can now, this Georgia boy, can now vouch for the fact that they are great in the snow as well. Uh, Very nice. Bortec, a product I was supposed to use before the match and did not. Um, therefore, I had a dirty rival. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, what listen, I got. For someone, who I'm, we're not, the show's not sponsored by hunter's hd gold i'm not sponsored as a personal shooter or nothing um i thought and i said this on the show when we had brian on it i thought his frames were ugly as shit i i I, like i didn't that you weren't getting me to buy those things right because they just did not look they weren't gucci enough for me like i come from the oakley 2.0 m frames the 3.0 m frames but until i got them on my head and actually looked through them i I wouldn't i wouldn't want to shoot a a match let alone if I was hunting or any of those other games without those. And they do prescription. I'm not there where I need a prescription yet, but I really dig the clarity of Hunter's HD Gold. Just saying, from a non-bullshit fucking advertised paid dollar promotion standpoint. Yeah, and if you are all, all about that Oakley life, um, both Jen and myself have our, our favorite Oakley frames. You know, I have three pair of the same frames. She has two. Um, and we both literally sent our, our extra frames to Brian, had to make some uh, custom lenses for us and mm-hmm. send them back. So, so we have the frames that we're used to. Yeah. And, uh, and I currently do wear, awesome. I do wear Hunter's HD Gold frames too, but you can do that with your favorite eyewear, um, have them just install the lenses and you're good to go. Yep. So uh, Caleb, any shout outs on your end before we wrap it up? What do you got? Uh, I'm going to shout out my boys. I have no personal, I mean, I'll shout out my social media. Go subscribe to me on uh, YouTube. It's youtube.com slash gunnitsmedia. Uh, follow me on Instagram, which is Rada Caleb. It's like my name, but with Rada before it. And then an underscore after it. The underscore is important if you don't want to follow like a gay 12 year old. So Rada Caleb with an underscore. Uh, and then. Uh, big shout out for tonight. Who do I want to shout out? Uh, I'm going to shout out Citizens Defense Research run by John Johnson and Melody Lauer. They're putting on some really innovative training courses. They're branching the self-defense concept out to people outside the firearms industry, and they're doing some phenomenal work. So if you want to get better at shooting a gun, if you want to learn how to defend your family uh, in an armed encounter, check out Citizens Defense Research. There we go. Uh, shout out to my end. Uh, definitely subscribe to the channel if you're watching later after the live broadcast is done on the YouTube side of things. Right underneath the video, you see the subscribe uh, button every Tuesday at 9. We're doing a new episode of The Shooter's Mindset. I post some match videos over there. Um, trade show videos like SHOT Show, NRA, stuff like that also go on there. If you want to email me, the shooters mindset at gmail.com. It's a good way to do that. Shout out to the folks at Tandem Cross for all your rimfire needs. They got some center fire stuff, but really being into the rimfire, they have your parts. Definitely thanks to uh, Caleb here for spending like two hours of his time here for episode 285. Appreciate that. And lastly, uh, Rise Armament for some fantastic ARs and AR drop and triggers. Uh, that'll do it for episode 285 of the shooters mindset. Thank you guys for tuning in tonight. We'll see you on the next one.